Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I am your host, Christiana, over there. On the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing well. Last night was a very fun night, of course. Uh, it was the home run derby, and I'm just going to start off. I feel like we just we just keep getting this scenario. We've gotten to two years in the last three derbies now where it's like, well, this guy won it, but like the night really belonged to this guy. <laughs> like it just It just keeps happening, and it's kind of annoying because it's like, I, I don't want to say that the guy that won didn't actually win, but last night was Julio Rodriguez's night, whether he won the Derby or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it was, it was his showing out party to a national audience and, you know, he hasn't really had that yet necessarily um, as it's only his rookie year, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, every, everyone found out who he was. Um, everyone found out who he was last night and he had, Two very spectacular rounds to start off. Um, and, you know, he defeated Corey Seager and more notably, he defeated uh, Pete Alonzo, which, uh, you know, was the Derby favorite winner of the last two derbies. And and yeah, like really, uh, it, it's a good thing that he was able to to make a name for himself a little bit last night. Yeah, yeah, 32, like 32 home runs in the first round. I don't think people at the time realized how crazy that was because he was the very first one to go. And, like, I think people kind of tend to forget what a good derby round looks like. Uh, yeah. When, we, you know, we only get to see this once a year. But, like, I was like, wait, like, 32 in the first round, like, that's going to hold up and it has a chance to beat Pete Alonso if he does it again. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was the third – I think it was the, the second best first round ever behind Pete Alonso last year with 35. Yeah. Right, right, right. This yeah. Hilarious. Um, yeah, that was absolutely nuts. And it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was very exciting um, to have his power on display. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the one of the many tools he possesses uh, being on display and uh, he will be out in action. I mean, he'll be a reserve, but he'll he'll be out. uh He'll be out playing at, at um at some point uh tonight as we record. He could uh he could be in, a, in another home run derby. Uh yeah. oh yeah. Did you see yeah. this? Um oh what's going on with, with this? So uh it was announced that if the all-star game ends in a tie, um like if it's tied after nine innings, it will go to a home run derby where the AL and NL will have three players go up and each take three swings. And the, um, like the rosters were announced and at the beginning of the night, it looked like such a joke, but now it looks much more legit. So the AL candidates would be uh, Julio Rodriguez, Ty France and uh, Kyle Tucker. 
And the uh, AL is like Kyle Schwarber, Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto, or something like that. And then <laughs> w- when it came out, everyone was like, okay, guys, like, joke's over. Like, you can release the actual a- AL candidates because, you know, that's extremely lopsided. But, I mean, if Julio's in there, that makes it look a lot better than it did at the beginning of the news break. Uh, for NL, you said it was Sh- Soto, right. Schwarber, sorry. and who else? It's, I'm sorry, it was Alonzo, Acuna, and Schwarber. Oh, Alonzo Acuna. <laughs> so, yeah, all Derby candidates or Derby participants. Uh, and then, and, and then, then, yeah, Ty France, Kyle Tucker, Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, I don't, you know, Kyle Tucker's got a little bit of pop. Ty France does too. However, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, well, in this in this derby, there were what like two AL players? Three. Three. It was uh yeah, Corey Seeger, Jose Ramirez, Julio. Julio, yeah. And uh yeah, Jose Ramirez. Um by, yeah. by the way, Jose Ramirez hit righty. Yeah. Against a righty. Wasn't ready for that. I really yeah. I was really hoping. After like I was think I was like, what if he did this on purpose and then he's just gonna take the time out and switch over to lefty and be like, watch this. Yeah, that would have been very funny. I was really I was really hoping for that, but no, he decided to go righty the whole time. Very interesting. I'm sure someone will ask him about that today. Yeah, yeah. It makes me wonder like what his home like plate appearances for or at bats for home run are at each side. Um, um just... Petriel, I don't know if you were watching the stat cast broadcast last night but petriello said his slugging percentage is like 200 points higher when he hits lefty um oh yeah and that's a rate stat so like yeah i don't know yeah like, seemed very odd but i don't know maybe he just like there's definitely a theory out there because i know the guardians specifically told him not to do it like in the past like 2019 2021 um and maybe it was just like, I'll do it. I'm, I'm not going to – I'm going to do my all to just, like, put on a decent show but not make it out of the first round. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, this year he's hitting 305 with a 1010 OPS against righties, which is when he's the lefty, and 241 with a 7, 756 OPS against lefties, which is when he's a righty. Yeah, so it's – I don't know. It's very weird. Wasn't expecting it. Yeah. I, and I don't like, I didn't know what to expect because I never looked at the numbers. Yeah. His numbers were actually different last year. The, the difference in OPS uh, on, on uh, righties and lefties was within 20 points of each other. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's only a this year thing, but yeah, that's very odd. Like, um, yeah, because I feel like, yeah, anytime you see a Jose Ramirez home run, it's when he's lefty. Um, but, yeah, he went up righty. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but worked out for Juan Soto, who ended up uh, ended up winning the derby with, you know, be, being pretty consistent the whole way through. Um, how about uh, Albert Pujols getting through? Uh, getting that, through was, the first that was round. cool. Well, did you see uh, that controversy? Uh, what was it? 
Apparently, in a tiebreaker round between Schwarber and Pujols, ESPN miscounted and missed one of Schwarber's home runs, so it should have been a tie, but Pujols actually advanced. Huh. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but it's been it's been being floated out there. Like, in that tiebreaker round, Schwarber also hit seven, but they miscounted? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't, yeah, there are all, there are always like, there is always a thing where like a home run lands and you just don't see it. Tri- you just don't see a number change. And it's like, what happened there? Yeah. yeah. I think miscounts happen more frequently than, than you would realize in those things. Cause there's so many home runs being hit at once. Yeah. Especially it's in the, to... in the clock format. One of the best, yeah, especially in the clock format, but one of the best changes MLB ever made to anything ever was um, making the home run derby rule where the next pitch can be thrown when the previous ball starts going down instead of when it lands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, every derby has been so much better than it ever was in recent memory. Like, go back and watch even, like, the 2016 home run derby. Like, remember when we were amazed when Stan put up 24 home runs in the first round? Right, yeah. Like yeah, we were yeah. like that might like we were like that might be one of the best derby performances we've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and now, yeah, now it's like, what are we talking about? Now we've got our you know a rookie hitting thirty two first round, first time ever doing a home run derby. Yep. Even um, then, like Alonso very casually hit twenty. Yes. Yeah. Or not? Uh, yeah. Someone who was it that hit twenty? I don't remember. Somebody hit 20 and it was like a very casual round last night. Um it could have been like in the uh, first round. Could have been Seeger actually. It might have been. Seeger actually Seeger wasn't too far off. Like it he, might have been Seeger, yeah. Because yeah. I remember being like, he's not gonna do it, but like he did pretty well. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, very funny. Um well yeah, uh and yeah. So yeah, Albert Pujols, Albert Pujols making it through is pretty cool. And but uh, you know, it it would have been hard for him to win the whole thing. It's tough because I, <laughs> I said beforehand I don't think he's gonna win because I just don't think like his body was going to hold up, and I don't even know how like wrong I was because he had thirteen in the first round. He did have an amazing tiebreaker round. I will give him that absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no um, doubt about it. But, like, I don't know, 13 in the first round, in any round, that shouldn't have held up. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, he, that would have ended up, if not for the tiebreaker round, he would have had the least out of anybody besides Schwarber. Well, yeah. t- tied with Schwarber. <laughs> yeah. he. I, I don't know what he did that tiebreaker round, but he just pulled out everything he had. And it was cool. It was awesome. Yeah. It is also funny to see how much of this relies on the BP pitcher. I saw a tweet last night. It was like the home run derby comes down to which, to which team has the most accurate bench coach. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a lot of it because you looked at Schwarber's round and I mentioned to you, like, he was throwing it in game day zone 11. He was throwing yep. it like four inches above the strike zone. <laughs> and Schwarber's like trying to trying to rifle it over the fence, but it's like out of the strike zone yeah. yeah that was tough Acuna's pitcher was like throwing him sliders I don't know if you saw that yeah it, it was yeah 
maybe Acuna asked for that, but still, that was that's pretty funny, dude. What are, uh, what are, that'd be very funny if he was like, "Can you throw, like I don't know what Acuna's numbers are against sliders off the top of my head. I'm gonna have to check that one out." Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I imagine like I imagine you would want like a hanging slider. Like he, I don't yeah, think he's for looking sure. for a slot for you know eighty eight down the way. He has a, he has a three run value. He's slugging uh, 394 against them this year, which is not great just in general, but it's good for the fact that it's against sliders. Right. Well, I remember when Harper was participating back in like 2013. 2013, like the broadcast was tell was saying that like his dad like threw him cutters, which I get. Like if the balls coming in on you like i think i think guys want the like want the ball coming in on them a little bit but i guess for acuna it would be coming away right. uh but i mean I, I yeah maybe he wanted like the idea of a hanging slider because it just i don't know it looks better mm-hmm. i don't know i'm not you know i've never participated in a home run derby no. <laughs> so i i don't know I don't know what works and what doesn't. Um, trying to think, what are, what other cool things? Uh, I mean, really, the big takeaway. We haven't even talked about Juan Soto. Yeah, well, it's like, like we have not mentioned it once. Well, it's funny because it it kind of worked out how a lot of home run derbies work out. Is like mm-hmm. you just have to be consistent throughout the whole derby. Yeah. The, the main takeaway, the, the one real problem I have with the, the clock format is that it pretty much relies on an underdog to really steal the show for it to be a good derby. Like, Julio was a six seed. Pete Alonso was a five seed last year. Like, he, was, he went first in every single round, I think, except for the finals. Trey Mancini was a six seed. Um, yeah. Like, 2019, Vlad Jr. was an eight seed. Like, yeah. it really... Stanton was a six seed, I think, the year that he he went off in it. Like you have, like you you just need someone who can go a full round every time to perform well for it to be a good derby. And like, I don't know, it it does kind of suck when like someone you know finishes off, like when someone beats the their opponent with like a minute left on the clock, and it's like I want to see him keep hitting. Right. Like Soto, yeah. Soto, Soto almost did that last night. Like he just kept going after he won. And then eventually, like 10 seconds later, he was like, I'm just gonna celebrate now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that's very funny. But I think you can run into that same problem with the other format because yeah, yeah if you're if one guy if a guy hits three home runs and then you know the the higher seeded guy hits four with only producing like three outs, then yeah. uh you know, you could run into that. Well, I think problem. the the seating only existed. Like the seating used to not exist. It was really just everyone goes in the top like four or something. Move on. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there was no. Yeah, I remember not there not being any seating at yeah. all. I think there was year was the year where there was seating, but it was also outs. I could be wrong because I know there was one year. I think it was 2014 where they like they changed up the format, but it only lasted for one year. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. No, I it, it was. Yeah, just yeah, it was a pool of eight, and yeah, to be top four. So yeah, yeah, the seating the seating thing works out. It, that's much cooler. 
Oh, it absolutely is. Like the Derby has been fun. I can't remember the last time the Derby wasn't fun. Yeah, I like, and and I, I also think it's becoming a better product every single year. Like if like even like I'd I'd say the most recent Derby you could go back and watch and be like, wow, it's so much better now. Is probably twenty eighteen. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, some fun, some fun derbies, and uh, Juan Soto was the winner. And you could argue that that's not the biggest new, biggest Juan Soto news that's happened in the past week. I don't think you could argue it. I think it's absolutely not the biggest Juan Soto news of the past week. Uh, as an athletic article came out, um, man, when did it come out? It came out like Thursday uh, or Friday. Or, I was golfing when it came out. Trying to remember when I was golfing. I think it was Saturday. Okay, Saturday. That Juan Soto rejected a 15-year, $440 million contract from the Nationals and uh, is pretty much on the trade market right now. Um, And, I mean, this is my hypothesis. Even if he doesn't get dealt uh, before August 2nd, which is the trade deadline this year because of the lockout, uh even if he doesn't get dealt this year you know doesn't uh doesn't hold him from not being dealt in the offseason or or next trade deadline so Juan Soto rejects a 440 million dollar contract it would have been him would have been the largest contract in baseball history uh what were your thoughts on uh the the Juan Soto news I mean my first reaction to uh, so I was told by someone I was with at the time, Juan Soto rejects, you know, $440 million contract. I didn't see him myself, but I was like, they're just going to trade him. And obviously, yeah. you know, that's kind of where that's kind of the, the consensus idea now. But at this point, how like, I don't know, because I don't know how much he wants. I don't like I, I can't imagine it's the years. I honestly think it's the dollars. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't think he's asking for 16 years. Um, yeah. But I don't know. One part of me says, if you're the Nationals and you've already offered 440, what's another 60 million? Right, yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's so many ways to look at this. And, you know, you see just, like, largest contract in baseball history. Um, and, you know, you think, like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, Juan Soto's not – the best player in baseball so maybe he doesn't get maybe he shouldn't get the largest contract in baseball history but also but also uh, he's 23 he's 23 yeah like not only that but like what more does he have to prove in washington at this point like maybe winning an mvp right and like that's probably the only thing he still has left to do in washington and he's 23 yeah it, it's yeah he's he's 23 so like it out of anyone eligible for a contract, you know, he'll, he'll get the most money. Um, and that's why, that's why a 15 year deal is on the table for him. Uh, you look at someone like Mike Trout who, yeah, he got 426 and a half million dollars over 12 years. It was, I think a 35.8 million, $35.8 million a year or something like that. What Soda's been offered is $29.3 million per year. 
And, you know, I think the market's changed a little bit. Uh, and I would have, even at the time, I, I think I would argue that Mike Trout got slightly underpaid. I think he could have gotten like $40 million a year if he wanted to, um, mm -hmm. maybe if he was on the open market. But I mean, yeah, Soto gets offered $29.3 million per year. But you look at someone like, um, like even if you just look at the free agent market this past past off season you know Corey Seager got 32 and a half million dollars a year so even if you did that over 15 years for for Juan Soto it would be um you know in the five it would be 500 million or so um so yeah it's really just a matter of years of why he would get the the biggest contract in history and it, the years make sense because you know he started his he started his career so early and got successful very early, started at 19. So um, his control ends after his age, um, after his age 25 season, I believe, because I think he has, what, two more, two more years of, or no. Or yeah, he's, he has two a, more years of He's a super control. two, right? Yeah, he's a super two. He has two more years of control after this, but he is in his second year of arbitration. I think the saddest thing is that, Juan Soto is still that far removed from free agency and we're still talking about, and we're already talking about the reason that the, the fact that the nationals just aren't going to be competitive by the time he's up. Yeah. And it's, it's I mean, if you want uh, a summary of how poorly the nationals have built around him really since the world series season, let me, let me tell you the eight players that have gotten 400 plate appearances that, so far this season, Matt Olson, Jay Cronenworth, Bo Bichette, Francisco Lindor, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Cedric Mullins, and Cesar Hernandez. Cesar Hernandez has a 78, or sorry, a 72 weighted runs created plus this season. They, he has 400 plate appearances. Right, yeah. Like, uh... like every, one of the, every other one of those players is good. Yeah, <laughs> most of most of them are all stars, right? Or not most of them. Jake Cronenworth is an all star. Freddie Freeman is an all star. Austin Riley is an all star. I don't think Mullins is. No, he's not. Um, but even then, some of them you could argue what could have been all stars, or at least just are good. Right. Yeah, and just the idea of being thirty one and sixty three with Juan Soto on your roster. Yeah that's that's pretty crazy as well i mean it's the yeah they have the worst record in baseball this year <laughs> um mm -hmm. so that in itself kind of shows how bad they've they've been built um, not only that but like i was thinking about this when was the last time the nationals drafted and developed an impact major leaguer yeah, it, it's like not, um, you know, like not just develop in general, because I mean, obviously there's Juan Soto who is more than a valid answer. But, you know, like every every major leaguer that they've had develop themselves was an international signing. When have they drafted right? Yeah, it, it may have been since like Trey or well, no, Trey Turner was drafted by the Padres. It might be Rendon. Yeah. Yeah, is, very possible. He's already he's already what, like eight years into his major league career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's such a wild. I know that you know the guy right now is Cade Cavalli. He looks he looks good. It's intriguing, but as of right now, 
it's been at least a decade since the Nationals drafted an impact player. Yeah, yeah, it that's yeah, that's where they run into trouble because you know, no matter how big your payroll is and how many how many guys you can sign, you know, you you can only sign so many guys and you right. need you need, you know, nine guys to fill the field and a DH and five starters and a bullpen. Uh, and you can't do that all through free agent signings. And, you know, it's good to get your free agent signings, but when you have no internal development, um, that's a, it, it, it's a difficult, it's a diff, it's difficult to win for sure. Going, just going over. Uh, so they, they drafted Rendon sixth overall in 2011. And to be fair, they had a stretch of amazing draft picks. And, you know, obviously they were at the top of the draft list, but like Steven Strasburg, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon in back-to-back-to-back years, that's like legendary. Yeah. Like that's amazing. Since then, all of their first-round picks have been uh, Alex Mayer, Brian Goodwin, Lucas Giolito, who was good, but they traded him for Adam Eaton. Yeah. Eric, Eric Fetty, Carter Keyboom. Dane Dunning, Seth Romero, Mason Denneberg, Jackson Rutledge, Cade Cavalli, Brady House. Yeah. That's that's where we're at with this with this club right now. And obviously some of those guys, it's too early to tell. Um, is Brady House a top where is Brady House ranking their system? I'm not sure, but yeah, like and also with the MLB draft, it's not like the NBA draft where a later round or a, a later pick in the first round is, um, you know, is not a good thing. Like Mike Trout got drafted like okay. 20 something overall. Aaron Judge, same thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of guys who are ready to, you know, be very, you know, obviously the guys at the top are probably are going to correlate to the most success. However, there are also plenty of guys that are ready to be major league uh, successes um, in those, uh, like in those picks in the twenties and thirties. Um, so according, sorry, according to pipeline, the, the nationals only top 100 prospects are Cavalli and house who are at 46 and 51. Like, the fact that your first round picks are your only top 100 prospects usually isn't a good sign of ability to develop because, you know, sometimes you see guys that aren't first round picks build themselves up. We've seen, we see it a lot. And, I've got, and that also international signings, like there are so many uh, people here, I guarantee you that weren't first round picks. Right. Right. Um, yeah, pro- yeah, most likely. Like, like, yeah, sure. Most most of them are first round picks, but like Gunnar Henderson, that's a second round pick. He's the number five prospect in baseball. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely players outside outside of the first round who can be major successes. I mean, I don't want to be the cliche who's like Albert Pujols was selected in the thirteenth round. Yeah, and you know. That's that's uh, a even yeah something like that is hard to find like but, that you know Mookie Betts was a fifth rounder, mm-hmm. um, there's just you know there's there's plenty of people that just 
they develop um despite their draft their draft pick um but i mean uh but yeah like with this juan soto thing um what do you think is an appropriate contract for juan soto i'm cool with 15 years i'd say it's got to be at least 475 right right um for i know he wants i know he wants 500 but I honestly think if it's the right club, 475 could get it done. Yeah, 475 would be $31.7 million per year. Um, so, yeah, that would make sense. What's 480 divided by 15? That would be 32. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I'm wondering, like, this is also an interesting thing because I think a lot of people talk about, like, oh, you know, um, I kind of I kind of wish Mike Trout didn't um, stay with the Angels and he went out on the free agent market so that he could be with a playoff team, and it looks like Juan Soto is kind of making that move because I mean he's if he taking really, notes. If he kind of believe like if he believed in the, um, if he believed in that in in that Nationals organization, I think it would have been harder for him to reject four hundred forty million dollars. Which is crazy because they're literally saying, hey, the next 15 years. And the fact that Juan Soto's 23, like, he's going to be in his prime for probably another 10 years. Like, in 10 years, he'll be 33. There's reason to believe he'll still be producing at an elite level then. Like, at the end of that deal when he's 38, sure, he's probably tailed off by then. And he knows that. But, like, he's probably given the Nationals, like, 10 years to be competitive, and he's rejecting that. Yeah, exactly. And especially given the type of player he is, he's not someone who's like um, relying on speed or, um, you know, completely on defense. He's he's a guy who's walking in 20 percent of his plate appearances. He's relying on, you know, you know, quality of contact for sure, but also being a great, you know, visual hitter and seeing and being able to uh, to get on base. I mean, you know, no one gets on base better than, than Juan Soto. That's just a fact. Um, mm-hmm. So he's relying on that. And I think that can translate to some long-term success for him, for sure. And, uh, and yeah, like he's looking to, yeah, as you say, he's looking to spend his prime somewhere where he knows he's going to be winning. And uh, I think that's where it gets interesting for like trade targets because like, even though it's a, even though it'll be a trade deadline trade, if it happens this year, it doesn't necessarily have to be a team that's, you know, one player away from winning it all this year. Like no. th- this is whoever's, whoever's trading for him right now is taking on a long-term project for sure. Like every, every team should at least take a second to consider it. Like not every team is going to be capable of getting it done whether it be that they don't have the farm to do it or they don't have the money to pay him, but they should at least sit down and be like, could we get Soto? And if the answer is no, the answer is no, but that question should be asked in every front office. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, yeah, every front office this weekend should have had that question, you know, around a, around a boardroom somewhere. Um, But yeah, I, when I, when I think about a team like teams that, you know, wouldn't necessarily be crazy buyers this 
uh, deadline, but like would look at Juan Soto, it'd be teams like, I don't know, Giants or Red Sox uh, who are, you know, they're only, I think, I think they're both only three games above 500 this year, but mm-hmm. you know, they're bigger market teams and, you know, they, they would be able to look at extending Soto in the off season. Um, who, what are your, what would you see as like a good fit for Soto? All of the reports have been saying that the uh, Padres and Cardinals are the f- favorites right now. Um, and I think an important thing to realize is if you're a team that has the farm to get it done, like you also have to have major league talent on the roster right now. Like the Arizona Diamondbacks, for example, have one of the top farm systems in the league, but is it worth trading the entire farm, which is essentially your entire future to get one player? Probably not. Yeah. Because I mean, like if you trade for Juan Soto, you now have to restart the building around him process. Like you can't just implement the guys you have now, except for maybe Cattell Marte. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but the Padres, I think, are a team that could get it done. I mean, I know that they they still have some guys left. They've traded their entire farm for guys already, but there's still they've still got guys left in the tank. Yeah. And they have enough and they have enough talent on their roster right now where they can build around him and put him on a winning team. Right. Um yeah. the St. Louis Cardinals, I'm weary about their ability to pay him, but at the same time, the Cardinals Every time they get an impact player, they do immediately extend them. Like they did so with Goldschmidt. They did so with Arenado. Like both of those guys were trade were traded to the Cardinals and immediately extended before they even stepped foot on the field. Um, um, but obviously this is a much different asking price than those two had. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, and you have to wonder like, yeah, with the Cardinals, how many more, you know, big contract, like, I don't, I don't view the Cardinals as necessarily a, a giant market team. No. Um, like, I think th- I, I I usually view, I usually think of them as like a second tier big market, I guess. But I'm I'm wondering like now I'm curious at like what their uh, payroll is this year, and like I wonder if if they'd be able to tack on another contract. I wonder if it could be argued. Tyler O'Neill goes in that trade package. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that they like would if you be... believe, if, yeah, if you believe enough in like guys like Dylan Carlson, maybe guys like Nolan Gorman, what if you throw him in there? And obviously, it's going to take much, much more than that, but what if that's a piece? Yeah, I'm sure they would be less hesitant after his performance this year. Um, the yeah, the Cardinals have 150 million dollars committed this year so like you know and if you're talking like luxury tax they're pretty far away from that adding soto would they'd still be pretty distant from the luxury tax if they added soto with like a 30 million dollar a year contract yeah um, so yeah it's definitely possible for them i know i talked about the giants um this past off season saying that they had they had some room before the luxury tax and they're a bigger market team than the, than the Cardinals are. Um, and then Padres, Padres, uh, Padres, they have a young roster. So I don't think they've, I don't think they're like, they have a lot of talent, but 
I think they've only given out big contracts to like Tatis, Machado, and I guess Eric Hosmer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of people have also suggested the Mets, but I honestly don't think the Nationals would trade within the, the division. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, Padres have two hundred seven million dollars committed this year. Um, but a, a lot of that has to do with. When does Hosmer come off the books? Um, well, this is interesting. Hosmer gets paid $21 million this year, but $13 million a year for the next three years. So so they front-loaded that deal. Yeah, they did. And That's smart. Very smart. And uh, Will Myers is getting paid $22.5 million this year. He's a free agent next year. Um, so It's a club option. That'll definitely be declined. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, the the biggest contracts are Tatis, Machado, but then like yeah, Will Myers, like you know that's not going to be an issue. Eric Hosmer's value drops. Uh, you Darvish is there the next couple years, but I mean it's worth it to have him on the team for that much money. And then yeah, I mean it's not many big contracts after that. Um, One of the. Uh the funniest things from last night's derby just what well, now that we're on the topic of the Padres, but you know how Statcast just introduced that like bat tracking um, metric. Um, uh, it measures like swing speed, like how yeah, you know, a fast you're. So anyway, uh, I was watching the Statcast broadcast yesterday and they were going over how Julio Rodriguez has the fastest bat speed in the majors and why that is going to, you know, that would have helped him in the derby. And Petriello was going over like the list of players. He's like, you know, towards the top, we see all these young guys. We see, uh, you know, Julio, we see like Jordan Alvarez, blah, 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 blah. And then towards the bottom, we see guys like, you know, some of the older veterans, you know, guys like Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, all those older guys, and also jerks in Profar. <laughs> Such an unnecessary shot of jerks in Profar. Yeah, jer- jerks in Profar. Like, yeah, we know that he was a top prospect about a decade ago, but he's still like, He's still like late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, the uh, the profile things. That's a very that's a very funny observation. Mm-hmm. Like to have him in the same a- any category. Like you, even if it's age, it doesn't make sense with Cabrera and Pujols. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't um, know. But yeah, I mean. Uh, by the way, that that bat tracking thing—it's only—it's only like the technology is in two ballparks, and it's Houston and LA. So we were very lucky last night that the home run derby happened to be in one of the two ballparks, so we could they can get those metrics. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That's pretty funny. Um, so yeah, like Soto's. I guess. Yeah. I guess he's. It's interesting. The the Cardinals one is interesting to me. Um, Padres, you know, they've been they've been going pretty all out for the past couple years, so mm-hmm. it makes a bit of sense. Um the yeah, in terms of other teams, yeah, you mentioned the Mets, like yeah, it might be hard for them to go in division. Um with like the Yankees, that'll be hard. I mean, the the Yankees have a they have a $230 million payroll this year. 
Um, and, you know, I mean, if they got Soto, they'd have to probably choose between Soto and Judge on who they would who they would pay. Um, yeah, and I, I think they'd pick Judge there, which is probably not the right move, but it would be hard to imagine they don't. Yeah, and I mean, like, yeah, when, when this offseason arrives, I, I would predict that Aaron Judge goes to the Yankees. I think I do, too. It just makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I, like, uh, and I think I think they'd rather just keep Judge around and sign him than give up the farm for Juan Soto. Um, even though Juan Soto is a guy you give up the give up the farm for, and the Yankees have a very good farm. Yeah, they have um, the guys to make. They have the guys to get it done for sure. Yes, uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it, it'll be it'll this this will be very interesting to keep track of. Um, you know, we'll we'll see if he gets um, if he gets traded in this trade deadline. Um, I would be I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Um, and yeah, I mean it throws a big wrench into the uh throws a big wrench into the trade deadline because it looked like there wasn't gonna be too much action going on this this trade deadline, especially compared to last year. Yeah, no, I mean last year was one of the best of all time. Um yeah, this year looked to be pretty dry, but now we have probably the biggest trade in a long, long time. Like, I can't – if Juan Soto gets traded this this July slash early August, I I can't even – I can't even tell. Like, I don't know the last time a trade that big happened. I think it's bigger than the Mookie Betts trade. Um, Yeah, like, uh, yeah, when Mookie Betts got traded, he was heading into his age – 28 season 27 mm-hmm. season so i mean like this this is basically hey do you want this guy you'll get a free hall of fame plaque with your logo on it i mean it's not yeah. free but guaranteed yeah yeah like that's a that's an association it's like you're getting 400 obps um some great quality of contact uh for a while um, and he's been he's been this good since he was 19. Because whoever um, trades for him and signs him, he's probably going into the Hall of Fame with their cap. It's hard to imagine he goes in with the Nationals at this point. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, interesting. Like Harper will probably, you know, if he gets if he's to, if he's a Hall of Famer, will probably go in with the Phillies. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's so wild. Like Mookie Betts will probably go in with the Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah. Very so funny. Weird. But, but yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess to take away from this, uh, at least the Nationals got a World Series. Um, yes. <laughs> at least they have that because, man, <laughs> at least like, they had the, you know, the wonderful 19 and 31. Yeah. Like if, if, if Howie Kendrick doesn't exist, the Nationals franchise are, that's a giant mess. We're talking about it the same way we talked about the Rockies last year. Yeah, last year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're yeah, just like, if, yeah. If AJ Hinch keeps Zach Granke in that game. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like this, 
you know, and the Nationals were like, yeah, they were at the end of their window, and they, they, luckily they caught it. Otherwise, if if, uh, if Dave Roberts went with Kenley Jansen in the eighth inning, yeah. Otherwise, it would have been a gigantic, um, gigantic failure from the if Nationals. The Dodgers didn't do a bullpen game in Game Four. Right, right. If Josh Hader had it that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they could have been out in one game. They were, what, down to the last four outs? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if Josh Hader just locked it down in the eighth on uh, yep. on October 1st. <laughs> and we're not talking about that on, you know, October 30th. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like uh, – yeah, if they if they lose Soto, then that's a rebuild process. It'll be going on for half a decade at least. The sad thing to me about the Nationals is that the message that they tried to send was, we didn't pay Harper, so we could pay Soto. Yeah. Like, this is going to be two times now where they've had a once-in-a-generation type player that they let go because they didn't want to pay them and like they have i think they can pay them like i really do think they could pay soto if they wanted to because like i said they've already offered 440 mil what's another 60 mil yeah like it yeah it's just odd especially given like you know i know i know they haven't signed a 500 million dollar contract before but they've had a barrage of of, a barrage of 100 million dollar contracts given out i mean They've had, they, they, you know, during 20, during the 2020 season, they had Scherzer, Corbin and Strasburg all on deals. Well, yeah, they had Scherzer on a, on a $210 million deal. They had Strasburg on a $245 million deal and Corbin on a $144 million deal uh, all at the same time. So like, yeah, there may not be one $500 million contract, but they had the capability of, having of paying all that money at the same time to multiple players yeah yeah um, we also haven't mentioned the fact that they depleted their farm for adam eaton a little bit yeah that i completely forgot about that and man did that one set the franchise back because you and i were talking and if if they had lucas giolito and he was performing the way he was with the white Sox, you don't need to resign you probably don't resign steven strasburg yeah, you still might, but it's definitely not a guarantee. Yeah, uh, very by the true. way, he was it was just announced that he's not returning this season, which is how many innings has he pitched since he signed that deal? Um, Steven Strasburg, like yeah, nine. Something something wild. Um, uh, he did pitch twenty two. No, okay, he pitched five innings in 2020, 21 and two thirds in twenty twenty one. 4.2 this year. So, so that's a grand total of 31 in the third innings. Yeah. And oh, by the way, a 569 FIP. Yeah. 61 ERA plus. Um, 4.1 walks per nine, 1.7 home runs per nine. And even with the Corbin and even with the Corbin and Strasburg deals as they are right now plus soto making 17.1 million dollars in arbitration the nationals payroll according to baseball reference this year is 124 million dollars which is 
I would imagine I would imagine that's nowhere close to what it was in like 2019. Yeah. Um. So I mean, like they have the spending capabilities. They plan on succeeding in the next 15 years. I imagine. Um, I imagine the rebuild process will not take longer than 15 years. Um, so, like you know, um, maybe they're taking it as a thing where like, oh, he rejected 440 million dollars, so he just doesn't want to be here in general. Um, so, but I don't know. I don't think that's the case because it's just like he offered him 29 million dollars a year, and he's probably worth more than 30 million dollars a year. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what's going on. Um, it's interesting. I mean, that if Aaron judge is going to be, if Aaron judge is going to be making 36 million a year at his age 31 season starting there. Yeah. Why can't Soto make 30 mil as a 24 year old? Yeah, exactly. As a guy who was, you know, runner up in MVP last year, um, you Third, know, two years ago, like maybe, Maybe he was top five. Or... Maybe he was fourth, I think. By the way, like, he, there's a, we won't ever know this for sure, but he believed that he has a, he had a false positive COVID test at the beginning of the 2020 season, which caused him to only play 44 games and therefore only get fifth in the MVP voting. Like, obviously, we will never know for sure if he had a, if he actually had a false positive or not. He could have just been asymptomatic, but. In those 47 games, he slashed 351, 490, 695. Yeah. That might have, if it, if it truly was, that cost him an MVP. Very much so. Yeah. Like he won a batting title led and led the league in OPS. And OPS he led the league in the, league. he led the majors. Oh, not the, he didn't lead the majors in batting average, but he led the National League in the entire quad slash line. Yeah. And, yeah and last year you know last year was runner up for mvp he's consistently just been a fantastic hitter and you know the there's some articles comparing him to ted williams but i mean like you look at the the you look at their you know their ages and their num their their numbers in those ages and yeah there there's some comparisons to make i mean mm-hmm. it's career his career OPS plus is one. So his career OPS plus is what, like one sixty something. Yeah, exactly one sixty. Yeah, it's it's one six. So he's been sixty percent above average, and his entire career, and he hasn't even turned twenty four yet. Um, he has a he has an eighteen point nine percent walk rate and a sixteen point nine percent strikeout rate in. Uh, almost 2400 plate appearances right and um like yeah mike where's mike trout at before he signed that deal um i know he signed it after 2018 um would have been like 27 then yeah and he had he had a 175 ops plus i will say better defense and base running from him so maybe not the best comp but i you know like you know uh, yeah soto 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 being 60 percent above average offensively uh as in his career heading into his age or through his age 23 season um you just don't see it that often and 
Yeah, he, sh- he should be getting at least $30 million per year for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, anything more on this uh, on this one soda deal or on this no, one? That was, that was everything I had. Yeah, it, there's there's a lot of angles to go about it. Um, just yeah, the the Nationals are <laughs> in a very bad place. And uh, yeah, looking, I guess, I guess Juan Soto's on the market. Very interesting. Um, all right. So uh, last bit of news we'll get into before our midseason awards is uh, Chris Sale. Um, we didn't talk about him coming back, but he was on the 60, 60 day IL earlier with a rib injury. And this was after, um, this was after being away for a year and a half with elbow surgery or, or after getting Tommy John surgery. And then he came back in August of last year, finished out the year, uh, pitched in the playoffs last year. Um, he had a pretty good year in the two months he was able to play last year. Um, but he started this year with an injury that held him out for, you know, three months. Uh, it was a rib injury. And then he just took a line drive off the pinky, which broke his pinky and he will be out for another six to eight weeks. So, um, you know, just the worst luck you could really have for Chris sale. And what sucks is that it's a freak injury and it's probably going to be added to like a resume of like, oh, he's just, he's injured all the time. But this one was actually a freak injury. Yeah, no, that, what happened to him could have happened to anyone at any time. Uh, he got hit with a line drive. His pinky was bending in a way it's not supposed to bend. That just, I don't know, you just, you have to feel bad in that scenario. Like the amount of time he's worked to get back to that point. It's basically been since the start of the 2020 season when he got Tommy John surgery and to finally to finally seem like you've come back from all of it and only to, you know, have something happen that's completely out of your control. Like that just, oh, that's such, that's so brutal. Yeah, it is. It is like, and uh, you know, I, I guess the one silver lining with this is like, you know, he's already gotten his contract. So at least that settled down. Um, that's not going to play well in Boston though. It's not going to play well in Boston. Uh, but like for Chris sales sake, at least, um, it's not affecting a contract situation. However, yeah, like he wants, you know, he wants to be out there like any baseball player. He wants to be out there. And, uh, you know, I think really just kind of, a being taken out of the, uh, frying pan and into the fire situation a little bit. Um, and from a Red, Red Sox perspective, you, you know, your best, pitcher the best pitcher in your organization just came back uh and in his first start back he looked very good he went five uh shutout innings five strikeouts one walk and like you know the red sox are heading into a very tough part of their schedule and they wanted chris sale there and uh now and you know they've been kind of sliding recently and now chris sales back on the il it's uh, uh i think it changes your the perspective of what the, where the Red Sox are at currently. The Red Sox had a really good run uh, in June and like early July. And there was, you know, like their slides started in early July, maybe even late June, where 
it seemed like Chris Sale was like the savior of the team, and now you just don't have that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, the Red Sox they had Nathan Eovaldi and Garrett Whitlock out at the same time as um, Chris Sale, and you know Whitlock was a starter at the time of his injury. Um, so like you know the Red Sox, they're rotation depth has not been what they wanted it to be. They've called up, they've called up a couple guys, uh, notably like Brian Bayo, who started the year in double a, and he's, you know, he's risen up pretty significantly, but I think they wanted to marinate him a little bit in the minor leagues um, as well as like Cutter Crawford. You know, he's not a well-known starter, although he's been doing actually pretty well, but um they didn't want to rely on these guys. And I think they're going to have to rely more on these lesser names uh, yeah. as they head into this very tough stretch. And I believe if you look at MLB strength of schedule remaining, Red Sox have the hard, hardest schedule remaining uh, out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. They so, have a tough one. So like, I think this, con- this conversation is broad been brought up a lot but like does it make the red sox less aggressive at the trade deadline knowing that chris sale is out longer and they're the uh idea of them being successful in the second half is less so i honestly think the red sox could do a mix of buying and selling at the deadline because they're still what two games out of a playoff spot right now and i know that red sox fans don't want to like a, a a mindset of let's let's just get in and see what happens. Like they wanted they want a team that wants to win the World Series, or I guess a front office that wants to. But like, you got to remember the Braves won eighty eight games last year. Like just get in and who knows what happens. Um, yeah, but you know, I wouldn't be opposed to selling certain pieces because the Red Sox have a lot of free agents upcoming this year. Maybe you know, like I mean, just for example, they have JD Martinez. Uh, Nathan Avaldi, Christian Vasquez coming off. I don't. I don't think they should entertain the idea of trading Xander Bogarts, even though he could be, uh, even though he could be, or uh, he could be a free agent this off season. Um, that's not something they should entertain. But if you can get piece some pieces for them, and then maybe get a couple relievers, it's it's a weird mix, but. I think without those guys, you still have a roster that could get in because we've seen the Red Sox. This might honestly be the most starting rotation depth they've had in any season that I can remember. Right. Yeah. Um, Especially with guys that they develop themselves. I mean, maybe not entirely, but like Josh Winkowski, Connor Siebold, who they got in trades, Cutter Crawford, who's looked right. good recently. Well, yeah. I mean, going back to the, um, going back to the thing of like, you know, maybe a mix of selling and buying, um, you know, in the Dave Dombrowski era of the Red Sox that, you know, we wouldn't have seen that. However, no. you know, Heim Bloom, I could definitely see that happening with Heim Bloom um, being their GM. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of been doing that, like the whole time he's been, uh, <laughs> he's been with the Red Sox almost. I mean, probably a little more buyer heavy, heavy in the lately, However, like, you know, he, he 
notably used to work in the Rays front office and they always have done that. They've always been a mix of buyers and sellers um, mm-hmm. trying to just take advantage of whatever pieces they have. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, in terms of, yeah, Chris Sale affecting this. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he should be, he was supposed to be the head of that rotation in, and it also should be noted in that start against the Rays in which he came back, he, he looked like, you know, last year there was a little, he looked a little bit off. Like in this last start, he looked like this Chris sale of like 2018, 2017, you know, that competing for Cy Young, Chris sale, the, the race star, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not the Yankees start. Yeah. Um, he looked that way and he looked like he was going to be the best starter. <clears throat> Excuse me. Looked like he was going to be the best starter in the Red Sox rotation going forward. And yeah, takes him out. Uh, yeah. Kind of changes things for the Red Sox a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially with the Mariners as hot as they are, like they're probably going to, they're probably definitely going to get a playoff spot. I, I mean, I don't want to say definitely because you never know. Like they are on a 14-game win streak, and this could be the peak of their season. But right now, all things are coming up, Mariners. Yeah, and <clears throat> they're getting hot earlier than they got hot last year, um, which is which is good. But like, yeah, looking at it, they're I mean they're three games above the team that's first out of the wild card spot, which is the Red Sox. Um, and everyone on their team is turning it around. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right. Any, any more thoughts on uh, the Chris Sale injury? Not particularly, no. All right. Um, guess that transitions into the 2022 midseason awards. Um, you know, very, very important. The, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of futures depending on these awards, financial situations based on the yes. above replacement radio mid season awards. Um, you know, we saw how it affected Brandon Lau in 2020 and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, did we, might've been Luis or no, no, I don't think Louis, no, Luis Rojas wasn't wasn't manager of the year midseason last year it was Gabe Kapler but like uh oh yeah it had to be yeah I, yeah I miss remembering that but like uh yeah Brandon Lau in 2020 um that uh we know it we know how much it affected him in 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 uh in 2020 but yeah our uh, our 2022 midseason awards will go in the order that they're handed out at the end of the season with rookie of the year going first um all right uh american league rookie of the year who do you got i mean come on yeah <laughs> i mean come on this is this is one of the easier ones uh it's julio rodriguez there's no there's no other way of looking at it uh i could hit you with all the statistics in the world but i think i think everyone listening knows that it's julio uh, i guess some honorable mentions would be jeremy pena um maybe maybe bobby wood jr Adley rushman um, but it's, it's absolutely Julio. You, you're looking, your prediction's looking good on that one, Chris. Um, yeah, yeah. I did predict Julio Rodriguez at the beginning of the year. Um, 
you know, he was, he was, he was the number three overall prospect in baseball. So, um, wasn't going too much out on a limb. Um, but yeah, Julio Rodriguez, uh, if you want to know the stats, he leads all qualified AL rookies in slugging percentage with a 477 OPS with an 814 and weighted runs created plus with a 135. He also leads American League rookies in home runs with 16, runs scored with 53, RBI with 52, stolen bases with 21, offensive runs above average, and F4. Leads American League rookies in all those categories. Um, Do we also want to do the thing where we say who we have now and who we we think will win? Yeah, I'm down. Um, Um, I still have Julio. Yeah, I think Julio is. I don't think there's any reason to backtrack from that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Julio Rodriguez will end up winning as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, uh, yeah, it's kind of cut and dry for Julio Rodriguez. Um, National League Rookie of the Year. I'll I'll let you go first on this one. All right, National League Rookie of the Year. Um, I'm going with Spencer Strider. Um, at the uh for the midseason award. Um. He has the most F war of any rookie at any position uh, this year so far, um, or any National League rookie at any position. I should correct that. Julio Rodriguez has more than him. Um, Spencer Strider has a 3.03 ERA, 2.04 FIP, a 2.68 expected ERA, and a 141 ERA plus in 74 and a third innings pitch. Um, I would say. His only real competition is his teammate, Michael Harris, uh, who has an 816 OPS. He's also a very quality base runner and a quality defender, I believe. Um, And I think I could definitely see uh, Harris pulling out the award come season's end. And I think there's reason, I think there's a good argument for Harris being better so far this season as well. Um, But I will say, I think Spencer Strider is, like your mid-season National League Rookie of the Year. And I think Strider is I think Strider will end up winning because I mean his peripherals just show that what he's doing is sustainable. Maybe, you know, I don't know if he's gonna end up with over 13 strikeouts for nine this year, but uh it's possible. It's possible for sure. Who do you um, got for National I, League? I also have Spencer Strider. Um, and I think I'm pretty safe saying that I'm going to have him at the end of the year as well. This is just so wild because the Braves came into this season with the number 27 ranked uh, farm system on MLB pipeline. And they probably have one and two in National League Rookie of the Year voting, which is just ridiculous. That's yeah. not supposed to happen. Uh, Spencer Strider has double the number of F4 of anyone else among pitchers. Uh, he has 2.4. Joe Ryan is the second most among pitchers. Uh, with 1.2. Scott Efros from the Cubs also is 1.2. Uh, there's really no other way of putting it. This is this is the easy pick for sure. Right, 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 right. Um, it would take a monster second half from somebody else along with a bit of regression from Strider for him to not win it, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, also, like, what should be noted with Rookie of the Year is, like, it's also not the most valuable rookie, so... Um, I think like Michael Harris, he's been doing, he's been doing pretty well. I think he's been pretty, he's been relatively consistent as well. And he's, you know, every day in the lineup as well. Um, but, 
but like Spencer Strider is looking like an like a like a star with mm-hmm. the amount of guys he's striking out with the dominant performance he's having. So I think that's more notable in a rookie of the year voting than maybe an MVP voting or like most valuable any anything in terms of value. Yeah. Um. So who do you got for? So now we get into the awards that uh, <laughs> the least analytical awards. Manager of the year. American. Uh, for American League, I have Aaron Boone. There's, I mean, there's really no other way of looking at it. I think the other possibility could be Brandon Hyde, but I don't know. Just with how good the Yankees have been this year, it's hard to justify giving it to anybody else, especially when they weren't supposed to win the division. Like there were teams that other people agreed were better at the beginning of the season. And not only are the Yankees the best team in baseball, but they're 13 games up in the division at the all-star break, which is absurd because this is supposed to be the most competitive division where there were four teams that had a chance of winning it, but the division was over in mid-May. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, they, they've been, they've been unbelievable. Um, my American league manager of the year is, Brandon Hyde. Um, And this isn't me saying, you know, I know I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm not saying this out of, out of uh, Yankee Yankee dismay, but um, my argument for Brandon Hyde. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's expectation manager of the year is basically based on expectations versus results. Um, And I know the Yankees expectations weren't that high this year. Um, You know, I had them as a fourth place team probably mid to upper eighties in the wind total. I was thinking, um, but the only reason I like one of the only reasons I thought that way was because I didn't believe in Aaron Boone as a manager. And, you know, I thought he should have been fired last year. And I think the Yankees have made so much of an improvement. Uh, I think they've made so, so much of an improvement because, you know, they underperformed last year. And they underperformed in 2020 as well. So they've been underperforming the past couple of years under Aaron Boone. So I think I'm just not rewarding Aaron Boone for not underperforming this year. I will say they're doing better than they should, even with like, you know, they're on a 113 win pace. They're definitely doing better than they should be doing. But I think with Brandon Hyde, going back to Brandon Hyde, um, you know, the, the Orioles should not be a 500 team. That's for sure. Um, and they, they didn't, you know, they haven't made any additions, no reason they should be a 500 team. However, you know, he's managed them to being a 500 team and their bullpen looks very good. I think that I think having a good bullpen is a sign of putting your players in the right position. So yeah, I think I have Brandon Hyde because like, if I looked at where he should be, like where his team should be uh, relative to the rest of the league, like I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the other last place teams right now. Like the Royals are 20 games below 500. The athletics are 29 games below 500 reds, 23 games below 500 nationals, 32 games below 500. I, I was thinking, I would think at this point in the season, the, Orioles would be at least 20 games below 500, but they're at 500. And uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, like that's, that's insane to me. Um, So I'm going with Brandon Hyde Uh, national league manager of the year. There really isn't much of a, 
race, but it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's because he's an awesome manager, but I'm going with Buck Walter. And also I, with, uh, with American league manager of the year for who I think will end up winning. I think it'll be Aaron Boone though. I do too. Um, national league manager of the year. I have Buck Walter. Um, my explanation for it is like, yeah, I mean, they, they went 77 and 85 this or last year, they're uh, 58 and 35 now. And they really, what, what kind of stands out for Showalter is they really, they, they were above 500 when they had both Scherzer and DeGrom out and they held that division lead the entire time. So um, I'm impressed with, the Mets there, and uh, I think that earns Showalter the midseason National League Manager of the Year. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I mean, the headline of this team coming into the season was Serger and DeGrom, and that hasn't been the reality for the team. They've never had both. They only have had Serger for uh, 11 starts, and not only that, but they, they lost Tyler McGill, who was their opening day starter. Um, yeah. like they've had to really change up their rotation, and even their bullpen to a degree. And they've been pretty consistent throughout the season. I know the Braves are catching them in the standings right now, but right now they're still in first and it's hard. Like, yeah, it's really hard to give it to anyone else right now, just because there isn't a whole lot of competition. Like every other team that's good was expected to be good. Yeah. And I mean, the, the Mets are also not, they're not in first place by chance. The Braves have been great this year. They've been a better regular season team than they were last year. Um, they are, they have the third best, uh, third best record in the national league and the Mets have the second best record in the national league. So it's not like they just happen to be in first place. They've very well earned their, their first place spot. The um, only competition I can maybe think of would be Rob Thompson. That's true. Yeah. Um, I think even that's kind of a stretch. Yeah, especially given like the Phillies have played like less than half their games under his management so far, even though they've done very well under his management. It's like, I guess it's a smaller sample size if you can count that for managers, but exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, and I think Showalter will end up winning, even if he doesn't win the division. It's just like, I don't see, I just don't see like another person winning it unless like i don't know unless the padres have a major breakout and, and yeah like finish with like 95 plus wins and i think bob melvin has a chance i think bob melvin would 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 have a shot yeah mm-hmm. um because they did they did finish below 500 last year and bob melvin is a new manager so i'd say if the mets clinch home field advantage in the first playoff series they should be good that of course means Winning the division, does it just mean winning the division? I think it does. No, they could have uh, the the first wild card too. Um. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah, that that would make Which sense. They probably, I think, they would easily be in line for that right now. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, six games better than the Padres, who have the first wild card spot. Yeah. And they have Scherzer back and eventually Degrom, probably we got um, both new york managers winning that award at the end of the year yep yep we do american league cy young who do you got so for al cy young there's a lot of options i can go with here but i think i'm gonna have to go with shane mcclanahan uh he currently has a 171 era 
and uh, he leads the American League in strikeout to walk ratio. He leads the majors in K rate minus walk rate by almost 5%. Um, he's just been one of the most dominant starters. He also leads the AL in opponents average against at 176. He was an ex-fip of, of, of 1.992, which is one of the best seasons in memory. Um, yeah. yeah, the next the next best is Garrett Cole at 270. That's 71 points away. That's got to be one of the best of all time. Um, yeah, for sure. Let me check that, actually. But, yeah, Shane McClanahan, uh, he's really stepped up for the Rays in a year where we were very concerned about their rotation depth. Uh, in 110 innings pitch this year, it's hard to find a starter in the American League that has been more dominant than him on a start-to-start basis. Yeah, that's that's been – that's been him. He's been so consistent. And it's funny because uh, on Baseball Savant's front front page, it's like uh, Shane McClanahan is having a – he's, you know, doing what Blake Snell was doing, like, with age. Yeah. And, like, and it's like, nah, Shane McClanahan's been doing better. <laughs> You're um, probably right. Yeah. Like, he – like, Snell had a 1.80 ERA. McClanahan right now is at 1.71. And – Snell's FIP that year was above three. I wasn't as into FIP in 2018, so I, I didn't I didn't look too far into it. But yeah, like mm-hmm. you know, Snell Snell wasn't as dominant. Um, Shane McClanahan, yeah, I I have Shane McClanahan as well. I was almost ready to um, I was almost ready to have the uh, the the Gosman uh, McClanahan argument. I thought you might have thought you might have gone uh, Gosman. No, there. I have to go McClanahan. Yeah, one. I know that Gosman has had the FIP season, um, but I think I mean the BABIP has been tough, and also the, the contact against hasn't been great either. Um, yeah. But I'm but McClanahan, like he has better strikeout to walk numbers. He had some tough home run luck early in the season, but that's been much better for him as of late. Yeah. So Shane Shane McClanahan statistically, he has the seventh most innings pitched at 110. Uh, he has the lowest ERA in the league. At one seventy one. Uh, let me just get this pulled up. But uh, XFIP, like the tracking of XFIP on Fangraphs, goes back to two thousand two. Mm-hmm. And I'm just waiting for the page to load, real quick. So since two thousand two, there have been sixteen hundred and one qualifying seasons, and Shane McClanahan's XFIP of one point nine nine ranks first. Oh wow! Yeah. The only one that's like the only close ones are 2020 Shane Bieber at 2.04, uh, 2014 Kershaw, 2015 Kershaw at tw- uh, 208 and 209. And then the next closest is, is 02 Kurt Schilling at 220. So Shane wow. McClanahan's XFIP season has been pretty. I mean, like, I know that, you know, we're not, we're not going to use XFIP to determine Cy Young rate, but I mean, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's awesome because he's a sixteen point two percent home run to fly ball ratio. Yeah, that's a that's a great stat. Um, yeah, McClanahan has the lowest ERA in the American League, lowest expected ERA, um, lowest SI ERA, and best uh, strikeout minus walk rate, as you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. And then, as far as forecasting the future, I think uh, I think he will end up winning. I mean, his strikeout to walk numbers are just insane, and I mean given that home run to fly ball home run to fly ball ratio has him being a little unlucky um you know that's that's a good sign for him as well and i mean he's a he gets ground balls at more than a 50% rate um so yeah. he in the 
his exit velocity against as well is, is very good, um, which isn't necessarily like a requirement when you have strikeout to walk numbers like he has, but even his quality of contact against is great. Um, great all around. And I, yeah, I think he'll end up winning. Um, do you, yeah. do you think he will uh, end up taking the AL Cy Young? I absolutely do. Yeah. I don't um, think there's a pick that I would backtrack from in this entire thing. Yeah, sometimes it's just it's just hard to see things going differently um, unless injury happens, of course. Um, all right, so National League Cy Young, I'll start and I'll go with I'm gonna say Sandy Alcantara. Um, he's been sweeping the news, and you know he leads leads the league in innings pitch with 138 by. He leads the league in innings pitched by 11 and two-thirds innings pitched. So, like, the next best guy, he has, like, two more starts worth of innings. Um, so that's a good start. And then he leads qualified starters in ERA and expected ERA in the National League at a 176 ERA and a 2.54 expected ERA. Um, and uh, quality of contact against him is great. And – his ground ball rate is 57%. Um, and I, I think he will end up winning Cy Young. So, I, yeah. What, uh, one of my colleagues at Diamond Digest had a tweet that I think about very often where she said, Shane McClanahan, or not Shane McClanahan, Sandy Alcantara pitches like a next-gen pitcher while having the stat line of some dude from the 80s, and it's tremendous. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, yeah, because, I mean – he has eight strikeouts per nine, but he throws 99 mile per hour sinkers with great horizontal movement. <laughs> he also has a 56.4% ground ball rate, which I think is the third best in the league, which is yeah. hilarious. Uh, yeah, he is. There's uh, there's no reason for me to not pick him. He was my preseason Cy Young pick. Uh, I yeah. see no reason to get away from that now. And yeah, this one, this one's absolutely happening. You can put it in the bank. Yeah, and and the thing that makes me think that he will end up winning, and like, I don't know if he's gonna win ERA title. I don't know if he's gonna have, like, he doesn't have the best FIP now, but I don't know if he will. If but he keeps up this innings pitch thing, that's that's what I'm saying. Is the like, voters are gonna love that. They're gonna eat that up. Like, that's that's what I, that's exactly what I'm saying. Is even if he doesn't lead in those categories he's gonna have he's probably gonna end up having like 20 more innings than the next best guy um he's just gonna have that workload he's on pace for probably like 225 230 innings pitched this season um which is uh you don't you're you're not seeing that that much and if he has that in a low two zra i think yeah i think it's guarantee he wins um all right. Uh, now for American League MVP, who do you got? I have Shohei Otani. I know uh-huh. it's I know it's the chalk pick, but uh, between pitching and hitting, I believe he is at four point seven F four, which is tied with Aaron Judge for the most. Let me just double check yeah. and make sure that he is absolutely. I'm pretty sure he is. As of last um, night, yeah, and nothing changed nothing has changed since so yeah no i'm oh he is one yeah he's 1.8 uh f4 as a hitter and 2.9 as a pitcher um 
he's been one of the top pitchers in the league. Like you could legitimately put him in the discussion for Cy Young. I don't think he is going to win it, but like yeah. you could, like he could probably get votes for both, which is just incredible. Um, how funny would it be to see a guy win MVP but finish like seventh in the Cy Young voting? Yeah, that would. <laughs> like normally, it's the funny. other way around. You fin- you win the Cy Young, you finish seventh in the MVP voting. That'd be that has that would have to be a first. That would have to be a tungsten armo Doyle moment. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, 133 weighted runs created plus as a hitter, uh, and his ERA plus is probably even better. It's 167. <laughs> yeah, 167 as a hitter. Uh, he started out the season kind of slow offensively, but he picked it up quite a bit. He's at 835 for his OPS right now. Uh, he leads the majors with seven intentional walks too. And what's funny? What's funny? Is about, he also has a batted of two twenty eight, so you have reason to believe that's going up. Yeah. What's very funny is he's had some of the worst luck hitting wise. Yep. Um, in terms of like, yeah, the the woba minus expected woba scale. I think like, um, I should check. I, I'll I'll check it right now just for the audience right. sake but while you're going he is 5.95 or 5.59 strikeouts per walk 12.7 strikeouts per nine 2.3 walks per nine uh what is his carry minus walk rate let me get um, that one checked out near 30 percent, right i think that's that's pretty hysterical like pretty close uh, for sure minimum 80 innings pitched and he is he is second in the league. It's 29.1. He's he's down by 2% to Shane McClanahan. Uh yeah, you can't you can't tell me that anyone else deserves it. I know that we just had the discussion of there are six people that are in the race. Right now it's like I still I still think there are six people that have a chance to win it, but right now it is Shohei Otani's award to lose. Yeah, um with the uh with the luck thing, Shohei Otani is seventh unlucky instead of 141. Um wow. In uh, out of 141 batters, the 200 plus batted balls, um, and yeah, it is funny we we had that who will win AL MVP discussion like you know less than a month ago. It was like three weeks ago, but Shohei Otani after that episode went out and had the best three weeks maybe of his career, where yeah. he you know was hitting at a very good level and also you know, had like a 0. 0.280 array or something like that. He leads, he leads all pitchers in F4 at some certain point, like since some certain day, by the way, uh, I just want to flex my F4 team real quick. That's in fifth place. Um, <laughs> I have four starting pitchers because I have Otani and all three of them are in the top 18 of K rate minus walk rate. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Shout out to Shohei Otani, Robbie Ray, Frankie Montas, get well soon and Shane Bieber. Yep. That's a very good, very good sign. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, sh- yeah. So my American League MVP is also Shohei Otani. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean he has a 135 OPS plus in 382 plate appearances, and then he has a 167 ERA plus in 87 innings pitched facing 347 batters. Um, so he's had 382 plate appearances and. Th- faced 347 batters as a pitcher so i mean the amount of like pitcher batter interactions he's had is crazy and then he's done it at a very high level in both 
Um, his combined B war ranks first in the American League and his combined F war is tied for first. And he also has 3.4 combined win probability added, which is a higher win probability added than all the other candidates. Um, so yeah, like uh, I think, you know, like he was like sixth in my mind when we did that episode three weeks ago. But like, you know, he he's really stolen the show lately. He's been the show. Yeah, the, the SHO. Um, <laughs> he's he's really he's really stolen it. Like uh, I should go back to his reference page. But I mean, like, yeah, his pitching has been unbelievable. And he's he's uh, his hitting has been has been very good as well. Um, so I have him as the midseason MVP. And I think he's going to end up winning it uh winning the actual MVP two years in a row. Um, yeah. yeah. Especially the way he's pitching. And I think he, I think he will hit better in the second half. Um, I do too. Okay. Um, last award. National League MVP. Uh, I'll start and say, I have, I have Paul Goldschmidt. This is kind of weird. Cause like, it, it's weird because I, I don't know how much I can factor like luck with like, or like BABIP luck with like awards, but like it's the midseason award. And I don't know, Paul Goldschmidt's just been very good. He leads the entire quadruple slash line with a 330, 414, 590, 1004 slash line. Also leads all National League position players in win probability added. And he is hitting 406 with a 1315 OPS with runners in scoring position. Um, oh yeah, I never. Oh yeah, I never wrote down who I thought was going to end up winning it. Um, yeah, like uh, yeah, Paul Paul Goldschmidt's had an interesting season. He has like a 388 BABIP, I think, this year. Um, his difference in WOBA and ex- expected WOBA, you know, it's a pretty large difference. However, like his slash line numbers are, are amazing. And I mean, with what's happened on the field, um, it's hard to argue. Yeah, 334, 14, 590, uh, yeah. 184 weighted runs created plus. That the, the, the next closest in the National League is Freddie Freeman at 159. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, I also have Paul Goldschmidt. Um, I think it's cool to see him. It would be cool to see him finally get one because he's been, he's long overdue. Like him and Jose Ramirez are the most overdue players for sure. Right. 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 Maybe, maybe Aaron judge too. I still would say Jose Ramirez, but that's a different conversation. Anyway, Paul Goldschmidt, he's been a finalist for MVP so many times. I don't think he's ever been robbed of one. Like I think there's always been someone more deserving, but I think it is his turn. Yeah, it would be nice. I mean, like he's, he's on a very much a hall of fame track. Um, and he just, he's, I've always found him to be a little underrated, you know, up to this year. Um, so I think him getting that national recognition as a, um, as an MVP, I think that would do, that would do, that would be very good for him. Um, yeah, I think the, uh, the 880 conversation is out the door at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be a disappointment if it was in contention again. Yeah, that is true. That is very true. 
Um, yeah, it's, you know what, if he's, if he's going to break it, this is the way to do it. Right. Right. Like, um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's interesting for sure. Like, yeah, I, I think it would just be fair if he, if he won an MVP, I think it would make, uh, it would make, it would make a lot of sense. He's finished um, in the top three, three times. He's a two-time runner-up. He was a runner-up in 2015 to Bryce Harper and a runner-up in 2013 uh, to Andrew McCutcheon. Yeah. Additionally, he was third in 2017 to Joey Votto and John Carlos Stanton. He was sixth in 2018. Uh, he's, he's due. Yeah. So I have Paul Goldschmidt winning mid-season MVP. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a little bit of a, a, I don't know if it's that much of a curveball, but I will have a different player winning. Okay. Ending up winning. Um, Can I guess who it is? Um, sure. Do you have Manny Machado? No, it's actually, it's not even a guy who has fantastic defense, but I just, I think. Is I, it? I, I want to guess. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> is it Freddie Freeman? Yeah, I think Freddie yeah. Freeman is going to steal it. Um, wow. You know, he his uh, quality of contact has been very good. Um, he's really been surging lately. He's actually had fantastic numbers since he fired that agent, which is funny. Um, doesn't <laughs> doesn't want to be in Los Angeles, but he's doing fantastic there. Um, so that's funny. I think, yeah, I think he'll steal it. I think he has the team also. That's, a, you know, a slight factor, even though, you know, all the finalists last year didn't make the playoffs, but still sometimes it's a factor. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think Paul Goldschmidt's success is like less sustainable. Um, and I, I love his success, but I think, I think that OPS will drop probably into like the low nine hundreds by the end of the year. Um, just my opinion. Whereas like, I think Freddie Freeman will have like around mid nine hundreds, and I could see, I could see Arenado or Machado taking it like with how good their defense has been. Plus their offense. Um, I, I'm going to, just because he's on the Cardinals and they seem to have luck on their side pretty often. I'm going to say that uh, he keeps that, he keeps that going. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I respect that for sure. He's been, he's been above and beyond everyone in the slash line um, this year in the national league, pretty much. He's uh I mean, his his OPS this year is like 70 points better than the next best guy in the National League. So, yeah, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a big fall and a huge uh, resurgence from someone else. For sure. For sure. All right. So um, that's that's the end of our midseason awards. Congratulations to everyone who won. Um, And uh, we'll see. We'll see how these these uh awards end up being um always fun to, always fun to observe for sure um all right so now we will get into our players to highlight starting with the tuesday july 19 2022 edition of uh... How about that? and by the way we will not have these next episode because no games will have been played so, uh, Daniel, who are you looking at this uh, this week? I'm uh, I'm taking a victory lap this episode. 
uh, not just for myself, but for a certain organization that I have some beef with. I'm talking about Harold Ramirez, Chicago Cubs. <laughs> my my Cubs player to watch who never stepped foot in Wrigley Field. At least he did for the Rays this year, but uh, not for the Cubs. Uh, this year he he is slashing, or sorry, since June 6th, he's slashing 382, 444, 527 for a 971 OPS and a 184 weighted runs created plus. His average OBP and weighted runs created plus lead the American League over that span. Uh, he is currently in the 98th percentile in expected batting average and the 91st percentile in strikeout rate. His 15% fly ball rate on the year ranks the third lowest among the 174 qualifiers, which is great because I talked about him being a, a contact but no power guy in uh, the players to watch segment before the season. And a 15% fly ball rate is what a guy like that wants. Uh, 10.5% of the pitches he's seen this year have been off-speed pitches. That is 3% below league average, and it's pretty easy to see why pitches are avoiding throwing off-speed pitches to him. His 469 batting average against off-speed pitches leads the 259 hitters with at least 750 total pitches seen, and his 688 slugging percentage ranks 11th. His hard hit rate on off-speed pitches has gone from 28% this year to 48%, 48.1% this year. That ranks 15th among the 178 hitters with at least 25 batted balls against off-speed pitches. Uh, just to give you an idea, some of the guys he ranks above in hard hit percentage against off-speed pitches include Giancarlo Stanton, Jordan Alvarez, Vlad Jr., and others. That is Harold Ramirez being above them in a hard contact rate. Wow. Wow. Uh, Harold Ramirez. How about that? Um, the funniest thing that's happened with players to watch is when you had him as a player to watch. And I mean, it was March and yeah. uh, then he got traded. Um, I think he got DFA'd. He may, yeah, possibly. Either yeah. way, it's very satisfying to see this as the result <laughs> because, hey, one of us is right and it's not the Cubs. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Should be proud of that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, my player to watch. So I, I forget what episode it was, but um, you mentioned the idea of, um, you mentioned the idea of potentially like throwing a curveball at some point and doing a uh, big player. Ah, uh, yes. So I'm I'm taking a minor leaguer. I, I don't know if this should cross a team off the list. Um, because like it's not he's not on this team, but I'm doing Will Benson. Uh he's in the Guardians organization. He's on I mean that's we've already done a Guardian anyway. Um wait, what which Guardian have we done? Owen Miller. Owen Miller. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So no worries but, uh, there. But yeah, wouldn't cross a team off the list anyway. But Will Benson, um, he's 24. He's on what's the Columbus team? Colum, yeah, Columbus Clippers, I think. Clippers, yeah. He's on the Columbus Clippers. He's in AAA in the Guardians organization in the Independent League. He so the story of Will Benson. He was drafted 14th overall by the Cleveland Guardians in the 2016 MLB draft. He was drafted out of high school as an outfielder. Um, he's nowhere to be found in the Guardians' top 30 prospects on MLB.com. However, after 
not having an OPS above 823 in six years of minor league ball, he now has a 928 OPS. And this is in AAA in the independent league. So at the highest level of minor league baseball, he's, he has a 928 OPS. Out of 91 qualifiers in the independent league, his 423 on base percentage ranks first, his 19.6% walk rate ranks second, his OPS ranks fourth, and his 151 weighted runs created plus ranks first in the independent league. So weighted runs created plus first in that in that uh in that AAA league, um, which is half of the AAA teams. It's the independent league and it's the Pacific Coast League. Um, also Will Benson's 16 stolen bases are tied for 15th in the league. And he is one of two players in the independent league with 15 plus home runs and 15 plus stolen bases. So, you know, he's not in the top 30, but I think it's just this, this list hasn't been updated yet this year. And he's had, he has literally the highest weighted runs created plus in the independent league this year. So I think that, I think he's going to get into that top 30 when, whenever MLB updates their pipeline. Um, I'm not subscribed to baseball America, so I can't see where he is there, but uh, Will Benson outfielder in the guardian system, getting a awesome stuff, Chris. Yeah. You did, you did steal my move of, of the idea of doing a minor league, or I guess it can't really be my move if I never did it, but I did, yeah. I did suggest it. Um, it like the old, uh, the old Facebook where like yeah. Mark Zuckerberg was told about the idea and then you just ran with it. I mean, yeah. How can, how can someone else take credit for it if they didn't do it? Um, yeah. It just, the, the guardians, time, the time was right. Yeah, it absolutely was. The guardians do have a weird thing with, uh, MLB pipeline in the top 30 because Stephen Kwan was not in the top 30. Uh, and he ended up breaking camp and had some amazing numbers in the minor leagues the previous year as I alluded to on my players to watch. And he, he's been one of the better players for them this year, no doubt. But yeah, I do think he'll, uh, I think he'll get to the big league roster and sneakily be good. By the way, Nolan Jones, uh, has been performing well for them in the time he's been up. Yeah, uh, just talking about Guardians, Guardians outfielders, right? Yeah, yeah. Stephen Kwan, yeah, it's funny because he was an outfielder, not in the top thirty, with a great on base percentage, and mm-hmm. uh, Will Benson is a Guardians outfielder outside of their top thirty, who has a great on base percentage. Like his, he's a nineteen point six percent walk rate, which is like Tremendous. that can carry that's like, over. That's like Soto numbers. Yeah, Soto numbers in 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 Triple A. Um, so yeah, I mean, who says he doesn't have, you know, like a 340, 350 on base percentage in the big leagues? That could happen, mm-hmm. uh, especially, and that could go well with his speed. He's on pace for like thirty stolen bases in Triple A, or maybe not, maybe not thirty, maybe like twenty five. I know that season ends in uh, in late August. Um, all right, so now we go from the highs to the lows where we're talking players or subjects that have been underperforming for our um, Tuesday, July 19, 2022 edition of... Slightly alarming. Who do you have for us today? Um, we've been alluding to this guy's struggles quite a bit over the last few episodes, but we haven't actually given him the label. Um, I'm talking about Nick Castellanos. Ah, yeah. Who has just been... 
there's no other way to put it. He's been awful. Uh, his F4 on the season is down to minus one. He's lost a full game for the Phillies this year. And since June 1st, he is slashing 239, 273, 301 for a 574 OPS and a 60 weighted runs created plus. That on top of bad defense and base running, which kind of just is a given with him. When he's not hitting, there's just about nothing you can do right. Uh, he has one home run in the last month and a half, which is yeah. that's not that's not what you need. Uh, before the season, he had never had a ground ball rate above 38, 38.9%. And this year, it currently sits at 43.1%. At uh, so he's hitting the ball on the ground a lot more. His minus 10.9 run value against breaking balls is the third worst in baseball. And naturally, he's seeing breaking balls at a career high rate this season. And it's easy to see why. Uh, there's only one. There is a silver lining, though. Uh, this is a pretty clear sign that we are closer than ever to achieving world peace. Yeah, that. Yeah, very true. Like you know, there is there is a bit of a sacrifice, uh, especially if you're from Philly. It's like, you know, nothing. Clearly nothing bad has happened. There's definitely not, been nothing bad happening since June 1st. Don't don't read the news. But um, you know what? Nick Castellanos is struggling. So that can only mean that progress is being made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. I've just noticed in the past few weeks, gas prices have gone down. I know that's a more minor thing, but that's, you know, a convenience. Um, so that works. I think they were they were rising the whole time. They were definitely rising when Nick Castellano mm-hmm. signed that contract. And yeah. Yeah. Um, so, thing, yeah, things, uh, I think things can can be getting better as Nick Castellanos uh as Nick Castellanos keeps struggling um my slightly alarming is uh it's very similar player on the exact same team uh and I will say short sample size alert but it's Kyle Schwarber um so yeah short short sample size alert hot trigger warning trigger warning uh, Kyle Schwarber, it's a six-game span, but he's been pretty awful in these six games. He is one for his last 25 with no walks and 14 strikeouts. Uh, he hit a home run in the six-game span, but his OPS is still 200 in this span, so that's very hard to do. Um, in the span, out of 187 qualifiers, his average is third worst. His on-base percentage is last. His OPS is fourth worst. And his weighted runs created plus is third worst. And he has struck out more times in this span than anybody. And he has the highest strikeout rate uh, in the six-game span at 56%. And along with that, out of 268 players with 10-plus batted balls in the span, Schwarber's expected Woba ranks seventh worst. And, you know, in a six-game span, you could think, oh, maybe he's facing some amazing pitchers. Um, he, he's faced one amazing pitcher, but I mean, looking at the pitchers he's faced, um, he's fa- the, the starting pitchers Kyle Schwarber's faced in this six game span have been Miles Michaelis, Jose Barrios, uh, Ross Stripling, Sandy Alcantara, Max Meyer, and Trevor Rogers, which you have some good pitchers there, but not a lot of strikeout guys like, you know, Sandy Alcantara, he, is the midseason Cy Young, but his strikeout rate is below average. So, like, you know, Kyle Schwarber having a 56% strikeout rate, um, 
that's that's slightly alarming. He's been uh, pretty bad in the last six games. I guess technically you could say carried over to the home run derby, um, funnily enough. But uh, yeah, last six games, one for 25, 14 strikeouts. Looking slightly alarming. Um, all right. Uh, now for a preview of the – or no, yeah. We're oh, wait, we that. don't have to preview the week ahead. Yeah. Um, we're just done now. Yeah, yeah. I just went into the uh, wait. Wait, let's, should we do uh, some All Star Game predictions? Sure, sure. That'll be our substitute. All right. All right. Um, I really hope it ends in a tie, man. Yes, me too. Wait, if it ends in the tie, who do they count as winning pitcher, losing pitcher? Is it just whoever pitches the ninth? Has to be right. Um, I guess. Yeah. yeah rip to rip to whoever tries to like score the game. Um, <laughs> I get history and all that, but man, Clayton Kershaw starting for the National League is tough. Uh yeah, it's like we all know Sandy deserved it more, but because yeah. of you know all that. What I will say is at least, at least like Kershaw is still good, and it's not completely based on. I was gonna like say like if. Uh, if Manfred used like his legends pick to throw Clayton Kershaw in there and they put him on the mound to start the game, like they did with like, like if they had Miguel Cabrera starting at first or Pujols, like that'd be tough. Yeah. If they had Pujols starting at first over Goldschmidt, I think he'd forfeit and be like, no, this guy's literally on my team. I've seen him. He's clearly better. Yeah. Like at least Clayton Kershaw is also having an elite season, even like, you know, Alcantara definitely deserves that starting Mm -hmm. spot more, but like, at the very least, you can say like you know Kershaw has a he has a two point one three ERA and a two point four seven fifth this year, mm-hmm. um, so at least there's that, and at least you're gonna probably get a good performance out of him, and he's still like at a very high level while he gets this start. You want to know my bold prediction for tonight? Uh, give me it. I got the Contreras brothers going back to back. Oh. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's going to – everyone's going to explode when that happens. Um, Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of um, what a bold prediction would be. Um, who's, I don't know. Who's the most random all-star on this? I'm trying to Gregory Soto. Gregory Soto. Um, we, have Soto we have Soto at home. Soto at home. <laughs> Such a great tweet. If you haven't if you haven't seen it try to try to find that Santiago um, Espinal Ian Happ um I'm, yeah I'm looking at yeah now I'm looking at the starters who is the potential <clears throat> I'll say uh Byron Buxton will win um all-star MVP okay all-star game MVP he'll find a way He'll probably he'll probably make a nice catch and have a home run and maybe like another extra base hit. All right. Um, so I think All-Star Game MVP is gonna be one of the guys that's like 25 or younger. Um, because I think we're gonna have that narrative at the end of the of the end of the uh the all-star week where it's like Juan Soto and Julio Rodriguez stole the home run derby. This guy was the was stole this show in the all-star game. And I think that guy is Ronald Acuna Jr. Ah, yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. I think there's going to be like a the future baseballs in good hands tweet from from all the writers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
that's my yeah, prediction. Right. Sounds sounds great. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, that does it for this installment of above replace above replacement radio. We hope you enjoyed this one. If you're following on social media, or no, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, uh, and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to our YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. Uh, Also, uh, follow us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta, and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Current, and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you. Um, we hope to see you next time where, we, where we're talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball once again. See you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over. <laughs>